Amen. God is good all the time. His word is true, and he is true. And because of that truth, that's why we're here to worship him today. Let us pray together. Gracious Father, we're so thankful for who you are, who you've revealed yourself to be. Lord, we ask that you might speak to us as to what is true through your word. Father, I pray that you will open my lips to declare your praises, to testify of the truth. Lord, we know your son Jesus Christ is the truth. He is the way, the truth, and the life. So Father, we thank you for grace and mercy. We're so thankful for your son Jesus Christ who is full of grace. Lord, we thank you that we have hope, that we are forgiven, that we are your beloved children. We are loved, chosen, precious in your sight. And we are so thankful that we no longer live in our sins. Because of our union with Christ, because we are trusting in Christ, because our identity is found in Him and in Him alone, we are your beloved children. We rest in this truth. We are so thankful that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. We rejoice in the song that Ryan and Sheena sang. We're so thankful for the gifts you have given the body. And Lord, I pray that you will use our bodies as instruments for righteousness' sake, so that we might point to your glory and to your name alone. Lord, we thank you that you have called us, not just individually, but corporately, to be the body of believers at Haven. You've called us together. You've called us to be one people, chosen, precious, a precious foundation that you are using to demonstrate your glory and wisdom to the watching world. So Father, even now as we look at your word from Genesis to Revelation, we see that you are doing a mighty thing through your people that you have created, that you have created in your image to reflect your goodness and grace. So Lord, we thank you for this day. Lord, I pray that you might speak what is true, that you might sanctify us in the truth, and that we might rejoice in the truth as we understand it and apply it to our lives. Lord, we thank you for all these things and we ask them in Jesus' precious name. Lead us by your Spirit, Father. Fill us with your Spirit. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. It is good to be with you this morning. It's good to gather on this first Sunday in June. Summer is around the corner. It's hard to believe it's not officially here. It feels like it's here. You step outside in that humidity. But with the beginning of summer, for some, begins a competition of sorts to look better, to work harder, to achieve a certain image, maybe an image that we aspire based on the things we hear from Hollywood or Wall Street or on our own street in the summer. We, we want to project success. We want to look successful. We want to be successful whether in fitness or in business, in keeping up with our neighbors. While success can be a benefit of diligence and a certain discipline, the success we must aim for is faithfulness and godliness. That is the success for the Christian. We aim for faithfulness and godliness as we walk by the Spirit and not by the flesh. Look with me at 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6-10. through 10. 1 Timothy 4 says, If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, 
being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially to those who believe. So, we see from this passage in 1 Timothy, our goal is godliness. Our goal is to know God and to love Him fully and to worship Him in spirit and in truth. So, if our goal is godliness, we must train ourselves as followers of Christ to be godly. I believe that begins with knowing what it means to be made in the image of God and to imitate Him. So this morning we're going to talk about what it means to be made in the image of God. Over the next couple of weeks I'm going to do some topical sermons. Um, as you know, that's not my habit. That's not the, the, the custom of my preaching style. But we're going to talk about what it means to be made in the image of God. We're going to talk about what biblical manhood looks like, biblical womanhood over the next couple of weeks. And eventually we're going to make our way to the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to be in the book of Matthew for a while. I'm not sure how long, but a great book to go through. All the books are great. But this morning, we're going to look at what it means to be made in the image of God. That's probably not the first thing that pops into our minds after we wake out of bed. Um, for me, it's where is did I start coffee last night or not? And so that's not what we often think about. But theologically speaking, this is called the Imago Dei. M-A-G-O-D-E-I. The Imago Dei is Latin, which means the image of God. One theologian defines the Imago Dei as that in man which constitutes him as he whom God loves. So it's that in man which constitutes him as he whom God loves. When I say man, speaking of humanity, uh, men and women, that which God loves. So it's obvious from Genesis 1 forward that God is doing something special through creation, through what he has created as men and women. Now, I will say, um, I was trying last night to condense things and, and trying not this, for this to be a two-hour sermon, but this is, you know, you hear preachers talk about a 30,000-foot view. This is maybe even like a 300,000-foot view. So we're just going to scratch the surface. It's probably not healthy to fly at that level. But anyway, um, we're just going to kind of scratch the surface is what it means to be made in the image of God. Well, first of all, as we think about being made in the image of God, it speaks of the special relationship between God and humanity. Humanity is a special thing that God has, or people that God has created. This term has its foundation in the first chapter of the Bible, that is the Imago Dei. We're going to look at several passages, but this morning, let's look at Genesis chapter 1, 5, and 9. We're going to look at these quickly this morning. We're not going to look at any passage in great detail. But in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, this is at the end of the, the creation narrative. And this is after God has created many beasts and animals and birds of the air and the oceans, the, uh, the lands, the seas, the stars. And then in verse 26 of chapter 1, we read, God said... Remember, God created everything out of nothing and he spoke with his words and it came to being and it says, God said, let us 
There's triune implications there. Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. And let them have dominion over fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. We could go on and on through the rest of the chapter, but we see here clearly God is doing something special with mankind. Skip over with me to chapter 5. Chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, we see somewhat of a condensed summary of what we just read in chapter 1. Chapter 5 begins this way. It says, This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them, and he blessed them, and he named them man when they were created. And then one more verse in in Genesis. There's others we could look at. But Genesis 9, verse 6. This is often a popular verse, um, speaking of ethical dilemmas and issues. But here, as we think about being created in the image of God, Genesis 9, 6 reminds us of the importance of man. It says, Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. Why? For God made man in his own image. So again, God is doing something special through creation. So each of these verses point back to the simple yet profound, profound truth, which is this. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. There's so many, like I said, there's so many things we could talk about this, and what does that mean, and we're going to scratch that surface, but this impacts, what I want us to see, this impacts our identity as male, as female, as one or the other, God created them male or female, and our purpose. Our purpose in life is to worship God and to enjoy him forever, to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And it begins with understanding who we were created to be. So what does this mean? What does it mean to be created in the image of God? Philosophers, I read different philosophers this past week. It always makes my head hurt to read too much philosophy. But I read this past week, a lot of philosophers have asked this question for decades. What is man? Who is man? What does man do? I agree with Anthony Hokema, a great book, talked about being made in the image of God. Hokema says this, It is difficult to exaggerate the importance of the doctrine of man. That is so true. So much could be said with that one sentence. But Hokema goes on to talk about the many implications that are directly related to what we believe about the doctrine of man. There are practices such as artificial insemination, test tube babies, abortion, chemical control of behavior, euthanasia, genetic engineering, and the like raise questions about the dignity of human life. Add this to such burning issues as racism, the problems of alienation, the problem of decreasing respect of authority, and one can see why the question, what is man, has acquired new urgency in our society today. But the the amazing thing is, Hokema said these things in 1994. And so that was 22 years ago in 2018. These questions about humanity still loom large. Even this past week in my own life on the news, I heard stories of racism. 
um, on my own new, social news media, stories of alienation, um, stories in churches and institutions of abuse, and stories in my own extended family about the confusion over gender roles. All of these things stem back to the fact that we were made in the image of God. There's real ethical dilemmas, life-changing questions when we understand what men and women are called to do. The psalmist tells us what we're called to do. The psalmist talks about being made in the image of God. He says, as for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. When I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. So we are satisfied with who God declares himself to be. We must find our satisfaction in God, especially as the people of God who have been born again, who have been redeemed. We must find our satisfaction in God as people made in the image of God. We are made in his image according to Genesis. This means several things. It means that we are rational creatures. Even before coffee, we are rational creatures. Um, we have cognitive capacity. We are relational creatures. When I say relational, that means we relate to one another in a special, unique way. We are made for community. We are rational, relational, and functional. When I say we are functional creatures, I'm referring to the authority given to us by God to rule on behalf of God. We see this in Genesis 1. We are God's representatives in this world to exercise dominion. This has been so since the beginning. I was a little frustrated last night. Um, I was working on the corner desk, um, and Sheena had already gone to sleep, so I had the lights out, but I had this little night light, and these little bugs kept coming in by the desk, and I kept thinking, how are these bugs, just tiny little flying bugs, I had never seen them before, um, and they kept coming in. I'm like, how in the world are they coming in? The, the window is shut. But I guess there was just a tiny little seam. And so then I pulled the blinds back, and because I had this nightlight on, the whole insect world was right there at the window. And so I'm like, well, that's that's enough of that. i got to turn the light off and just use the computer screen. But then I was, as I was working on this, I remember these insects do not have dominion over me. I have dominion over them. So I outsmarted them, turned the light off. Poor eyesight is a small price to pay. So we must remind ourselves we have dominion over the rest of creation. Some might argue, some might say, uh, we're not that different than the rest of humanity, but we are. You do not see aardvarks writing plays, beavers gathering for town councils, dogs concerned about commitment and marriage, monkeys concerned about trafficking of humans worldwide. None of those things take place. An individual created in the image of God is the special crowning act of God's creation. We fight for humans being trafficked worldwide. We advocate on behalf of immigrants. We stand for marriage to be honored. We oppose racism in all of its ugly forms. And we seek to uphold the dignity and sanctity of life from the beginning of babies in the womb all the way to the elderly and the disabled because we are made in the image of God. So to be made in the image of God is to represent God as his ambassadors. We speak and act in favor of life and liberty because God is the creator and author of life. Listen to what David Clausen says about being made in the image of God. Clausen writes this, he says, Man is like a statue erected by an ancient king. As the statue bore the image of the king and signified rulership, 
Man bears God's image in the cosmic temple of the world, representing his authority and dominion. Man is the visible representation of the invisible God. If one wants to know what God looks like, simply look at man, the crowning jewel of creation and the only creature made in God's image and likeness. So we are special, not just because our kindergarten teacher says so, but because God's word says we are created in his image. But to some, this brings a breath of fresh air. But to others, this may smell like sour milk found a month later. Why, why do I say that? Because some people say, I, I, I don't see it. I don't see how man is special because they see cruelty. They see sins that are committed in society. They see violence. They see atrocities that take place on any given day. But we must understand, just because crimes have been committed does not mean it reflects God's design. Men and women have distorted the image of God when they disobey Him. You and I distort God's design when we run from our God-given roles and think we know better than God. The, um, the writer of Ecclesiastes and Proverbs speaks a lot about the foolish one who goes astray, who runs, who rebels, who does their own things. They may look good on the outside, but inwardly and by their actions, they are making a wreck of God's designs. Ecclesiastes says, God made man upright, but mankind has sought out many different schemes, sinful schemes. But we, who are followers of Christ, are not to seek out sinful schemes. What are we to seek? We're to seek God's face. We're to seek his kingdom. We're to follow him. So this is why the book of James implores us to live in a way that's consistent with our faiths, our deeds and our faith should go hand in hand. It is a living, active faith that leads to obedience. This is why James says this about the power of the human tongue. He says, it, it, um, when we curse others with our tongues, we are cursing people who are made in the likeness of God. Perhaps you've received a tongue lashing. Maybe you've even given out one or two. But we as believers in Christ are not to use our tongues and lips to start fires or to poison others. We are to use our tongues to speak of God's greatness, to testify of the message of Christ. We are to speak of God's grace. So James reminds us the tongue can be a restless evil full of deadly poison. We can either curse people with it or bless God by the way we use it. But James is like Paul saying, may it never be that you're doing both. You're not to bless God on Sunday and Monday through Saturday curse others that are made in the image of God. This is what James is saying here. It's not just offensive to others to curse them. What he's saying here is it's offensive to God, your creator. So God is displeased when we curse others who are made in his image because we're dishonoring him and living in rebellion to his creation. It is clear that we are not like what God originally intended. With Adam and Eve, everything was perfect, without flaw, without sin, and so it is clear that since then that we have marred the image of God, but we can be restored through our union with Christ. Our relationship can be restored. So this sermon is spoken to the followers of Christ, those who believe in Christ, those who are trusting in Christ. As we think about being made in the image of God, Christians who have been born again and regenerated, we must seek to imitate Christ. 
I want you to hear this morning that if you are made in the image of God and you're united to Christ, you must imitate Christ. That's what it means to to follow God's image. We see Jesus is the image and fullness of God. God is pleased with Jesus. Why? Because he honors him and represents him flawlessly. We see this in Colossians 1, Hebrews 1, many places. But look with me, Hebrews 1.3. Hebrews 1.3 says, He, that is Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. But here I want us to see that Jesus is the exact, exact imprint of God's nature. Listen, as we think about who Jesus is, Jesus shows us the Father through his life and ministry. When we think about the words exact representation, I thought this was helpful. W.E. Vine says this, a a basic earthly illustration to understand um, representation. Vine says, a stamp or impress as a coin or a seal Recently, um, the girls went to Hobby Lobby and they got this seal that they can put on the back of letters. It looks all cool and formal and, and uh, you know, very, very official. And they got the seal and they make the seal, as Vine says here, the seal or the diet makes an impression that bears the image produced by it and vice versa. All the features of the image correspond respectively with those of the instrument producing it. So just like a, a um, stamp or impress, impress, a coin or a seal, as we look exactly at the coin, exactly what the original die stamped out the coin looked like, so likewise, by looking at the Son, we, ex- we see exactly what the Father is like. Paul says the same thing in 1 Corinthians 11. He says, as followers of Christ, we are to imitate Jesus. We are to walk in his steps, Peter says. As people made in the image of God, as people who have been born again, we're not to live to make our name great, but to do what? Exalt Christ. John the Baptist said, he must become greater, I must become less. He must increase, I must decrease. This is why we rejoice with the words of Paul who says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who lives, but who? Christ who lives in me. I live by in the flesh. I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. So what I want us to see this morning is we think about the Imago Dei, the fact that we are made in the image of God. This is not just a theological concept. This is not just for seminarians or for advanced Bible study classes. But this is a foundation for our lives that results in practical ways in which we love God, And, as Jesus says, we're called to love one another. The Imago Dei gives us a foundation for loving God and loving one another. When we imitate God according to his word and reflect his likeness by trusting in Christ, it impacts who you are, impacts who I am, and how we love one another. So in a world that is concerned about self-image, For the Christian, our image must be seen through our identity in Christ. The Christian self-image, when understood biblically, is the opposite of pride. The prideful man, the prideful woman says, what? Look at me. The humble man, the humble woman says, what? Look at Christ. 
look at him. See the beauty of Christ. And so for the Christian, we are to exalt Christ. We have a deep conviction for Christ's followers. We have a deep conviction of a sin and a recognition that we are still far from what we ought to be. It means that we glory in Christ. The Christian self-image is never an end in itself. It is always a means to the end of living for God, for others, and the preservation and development of God's creation. It leads us outside of ourselves. We can't get caught up in ourselves. It delivers us from preoccupation with ourselves and releases us so that we may happily serve God and love others. Look with me in a couple passages in the New Testament, Paul's writings in Ephesians 4. I want us to see in Ephesians 4 and Colossians 3 how being made in the image of God impacts how we live. Ephesians 4, it says, again, Paul speaks the first three chapters about our identity, being united to Christ, being predestined, being chosen, being uh, saved in Christ. And now in chapter 4, he says, we are, as Christians, as Christ followers, to put off the old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. How are we renewed in the spirit of our minds? The Holy Spirit points us to what we are to think and believe and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So if we are walking according to our image in the likeness of God, what is the result? Last three words. Righteousness and holiness. We are walking according to who we are. We will see righteousness and holiness. So to receive the image of God through Christ means that we share in His glory, knowledge, righteousness, and holiness. It means simply we become more like Christ. One more passage, Colossians 3. Let us heed this warning. Colossians 3 verse 9 says, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after, what does it say? The image of its creator. Again, the fact that we are made in the image of God bears implications. We're not to lie. We're not to deceive others. We are to speak the truth in love. So you and I, according to Ephesians and Colossians, have a need to be renewed, restored according to God's image. This can only take place by the power of the Holy Spirit. Look with me with what Scott Patty says. Scott Patty is a pastor in Nashville. Scott says this. He says, Of the many characteristics that mark God's people in the world, it is the filling of the Holy Spirit that lies beneath them. I read this this past week, and it's like one of those truths is like, yeah, I knew that, but that is, maybe I didn't know that. That is eye-opening. It says, love, joy, and peace are qualities of the Christian community and is the Holy Spirit who produces them in believers. We need to be reminded of the truth, reminded of the power of the Holy Spirit, reminded of what only God can do. I thought about reading the whole chapter of 2 Corinthians 3. We won't this morning for time's sake. But I encourage you, I commend you to read 2 Corinthians 3. Small little chapter, overlooked chapter, because we often go to chapter 4, which gets a lot of credit. But 2 Corinthians 3 talks about the realities of the new covenant. points from Moses to the people of God today and the veil that is lifted. And it, it talks about, namely, 
the new covenant realities through the new covenant that we as believers can behold the glory of the Lord. This is a, a mind-blowing concept, especially for Moses and the old people of God and the Old Testament people of God. We can behold the glory of the Lord by becoming like Christ. And 2 Corinthians says, 3 says, in doing so, we are transformed into the image of God that was distorted at the fall. This process takes time. This process involves the process of sanctification as we are made more and more like Christ. As the light of the gospel shines, as 2 Corinthians 4 talks about, through the people of God, the image of God will become more apparent. In fact, that's what Matthew, Jesus says in Matthew, that we might do the, uh, the will of God and glorify God so that others might, um, through our good works, glorify the Father. They might not see us, as loosely paraphrased, but they might not see us, but they see God, and they give Him glory. So as the light of the gospel of Christ shines to the people of God, the image of God will become more apparent, and the kingdom of God will be our goal. Kingdom of God will be our goal as we look forward to the righteous rule, the righteous reign of Jesus Christ. When we think of ruling and we think of reigning, we think about leaders, dictators, kings that have done so wrongfully, sinfully. But Jesus Christ is without sin. He is perfect. He is God's righteous ambassador. God's perfect Son who will come back and He will rule and He will reign. And so that is what we are look forward to as the people of God who know our role as the redeemed people. So as we close, two questions as we contemplate as we close. First, if you are made in the image of God, how should you treat others who also, who likewise are made in the image of God? This past week I was reminding one another, you know, they, this person was speaking of others who had wronged him and who had hurt, it, hurt him and just did very poor things to him. And I said, I, I say this only because Jesus said this, we are called to love our enemies. He's like, oh yeah, I forgot about that. And you know, sometimes I want to, you know, in my mind, forget that command as well too, but we are called to love even our enemies. So if you are made in the image of God, how should you treat others who are made in God's image? Number two, if you're made in the image of God and have been redeemed by God, you must remember that you are not alone. You're not alone. And that God is not done with you. You have purpose in your identity. You have purpose in your work. I was thinking about even as Sheena and Ryan saying that we have purpose in our identity, that we are loved, that we are chosen, that we are forgiven. We have purpose in our identity, purpose in our work. You have purpose as you walk by faith each day. So the second question is this. Are you living by faith, knowing that God is at work through His people? Are you living by faith, knowing God is at work through His people? Maybe you are not one of the people of God. Maybe you have never trusted in Christ. Let me encourage you today to follow Him, to call upon His name. God's Word says that you will be saved. And so if we trust in Christ, then we live by faith knowing that God is at work through His people. We obey Him, we love Him, and we follow His commands. Let us pray. Gracious Father, I thank You for this time together. Lord, even as we come together, we remember that You are doing 
many things that we cannot see. You are showing us your revealed Word through your Word. And so, Lord, I pray that your Word will remind us of what is true. I pray that people will hear your Word far above and beyond my words. Because, Lord, we know that your Word is truth and your Son, Jesus Christ, is truth. He is the one who sets us free from our sins. So, Lord, call your people to repentance. Call us to call upon your name. Lord, I pray that we will turn from our sins, turn from our wickedness, and turn to you. And Father, we thank you and praise you that there is mercy for those who have been forgiven. So Lord, blot out our transgressions through the power of the Holy Spirit, by the blood of Christ. And Lord, lead us to walk in the newness of life. Lead us, Father, to obey you in all things. Lord, I pray that we will walk by faith. Your word says that we are justified by faith. And so the just shall live by faith. Lord, teach us your ways. Teach us to obey you in all things. And Father, I pray that people, even this morning, as they think about their own worth, as they think about their own purpose, I pray that they will see first and foremost that their role is to worship you, is to glorify you by calling upon the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, and believing in his name. Lord, I ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.